Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Exilic. Um, Thank you for coming to our New Year's Eve service. Um, I'm sure it's been a long year for many of us, but we're glad to be able to end this year uh, with everyone here. In a recent survey, uh, Americans were asked how satisfied they were about 2023 in regard to five broad categories. And these categories are personal, immediate family, community, country, and job. And in general, Americans felt that 2023 was a relatively good year for them. Um, their, their scores in family and their personal community and job were the highest they've ever been since 2019. Uh, the only score that scored lower was in country. And when I looked at that survey, I think I generally agree. I, I love my family. I'm happier with them this year than I was with them last year. Hopefully, they're happier with me this year than they were with me last year. Uh, I love my new job here at Exilic. Happier here as well. Um, and I love my new community, also here at Exilic, but also my friends down in New York. But uh, obviously, with, with our country, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little on the fence. Uh, but the one category that I did disagree with in the survey uh, was that I was relatively happier with myself compared to last year. I don't know about you, but I don't know if Asian Americans are ever happier about themselves than they were last year. I think that motto, New Year, New Me, isn't um, something to encourage us to be better, but to be not as bad as we were this year. When I think about myself personally, I can't help but think about the New Year's resolutions that I couldn't keep, mostly because I forgot them Uh, but because I feel like I've never lived up to the standards that I've placed for myself this past year. And it's not only this year, is it? I feel like our whole lives, perhaps as Asian Americans, we've never lived up to the standards that we have placed on ourselves or the standards that people have placed on us. And so oftentimes when we go into the new year, we're not excited about bettering ourselves per se, but we're just a little bit more focused on not disappointing as many people. Because when we think about our past year, we're often brought to a place of shame because we haven't been able to do the things that we were set out to do. We weren't able to become the person that we wanted to become, and we weren't able to please the people that we wanted to please. 
But as we go into a new year uh, today, literally today, I wanted us as a church not to identify ourselves by the standards that we have placed on ourselves, not by the standards that society has placed on us, not even by the standards that tradition has placed on us, but by the standards that God has placed. Finding our identities, not in any of those things, but finding our identity in God, in Christ alone, is what I hope we can all do as we step into 2024. Now, our passage today, in it, the author of it, uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes to a small church in the city of Colossae, and, and in this specific church, there's been a rampant false teaching. Uh, very, very simply, this rampant false teaching has been that Jesus is not God. And, and so the people in Colossae, the Colossian Christians, are beginning to worry and they're, they're beginning to fall into this false teaching that Jesus isn't God. And the reason why this is so important is because if Jesus loses authority as God, then our identities are also undermined. If the authority of Jesus is undermined, then our identities are compromised. And so in verse 8 and verses 10 to 13, Paul makes a distinction between finding our identities in human tradition and empty deceits versus finding our identities in Christ. And that's what basically uh, we want to talk about today. Now for us, in our modern day context, when we fail to live up to these certain standards, these Deceits, when we fail to live up to the standards and the human traditions. For Asian Americans, for many of us that, that hail from the East, what often results is shame. Shame results from us failing to live up to some kind of standard. And Dr. Brene Brown, author and professor, she writes this about shame. According to her, this is saying, shame says, I am bad. The focus is on self, not behavior. The result is feeling flawed and unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame is not a driver of positive change. Now, the difference between shame and guilt is that guilt brings your wrongdoings into light. Guilt makes you aware of the things that you've done wrong, and you bring it into light, and you confess it, and you try to right the wrongs that you've committed. Shame makes you hide. Shame makes you hide behind the tree. Shame secludes yourself from community. Shame makes you question your very character and the person you are as opposed to guilt, which is a, a driver of positive change. Now, there are times there, our sins and our mistakes can lead us into a place of shame. It's true. But for the most part, shame, unlike guilt, is also a result of circumstances that we were put into, the way that we were raised, and the traditions and the water that we swim in. You can feel shame even though you've done nothing wrong. When someone tells you, makes a comment about the way you look, there's shame. When someone points out a certain family history, that's shame. When someone points out that you still haven't gotten the raise that you should have, shame. And in verse 8, this is what Paul says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. When we are steeped in shame, we find ourselves in things that are not according to Christ. 
We find ourselves defining ourselves by things that Jesus would not define us by. And then Dr. Brene Brown, she continues and she says this, shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal we've not lived up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished makes us unworthy of connection. I'm unlovable. I don't belong. The great lie of shame is that we are unlovable and that we don't belong wherever we go. That's what shame does. Now, I grew up in Flushing, um, technically Whitestone, but it's close enough. I grew up in Flushing, and that meant I grew up with more Asian people than non-Asian people. Not once in my life until college did I feel like a minority. My high school is 75% Asian, so we were actually the cool kids. You know, every time in a sermon, people laugh when I don't expect them to. I didn't expect you to laugh at that. Um, but what I do distinctly remember, because I've never been ashamed of my non-Americanness, uh, because most of my friends were Asian. What I was, I remember feeling ashamed of was my non-Asianness. I felt like I was never Asian enough. I mean, I spoke the language uh, of my parents. I, I ate the food. Uh, but when I went to high school, I realized how oblivious I was to my own culture. Uh, people were listening to music that I didn't know. Uh, people were doing things that I had no idea about. The reason I jumped on the Girls' Generation bandwagon is because I wanted to be more Asian and more Korean. And there was this constant water that I was swimming in. If you don't do this, you can't consider yourself Asian. If you don't speak the language, you're not actually Korean enough. If you don't like the food, then you're definitely not Korean. And one of my biggest pet peeves to this day is when someone says that to another Asian American and says, you're not Asian enough just because you don't speak the language and you don't know the culture. That's not true, that's, but that's shame, isn't it? Regardless of who we are, I was born this way, to look this way, to be wired this way. Shame puts this imaginary standard on us and makes us judge ourselves by that standard. A human tradition, an empty deceit, not according to Christ. And perhaps when we were all younger, we felt that kind of shame, especially when it comes to our heritage. But what about now? We're adults, we have jobs. Perhaps the shame not only lies in our heritage or lack thereof, but maybe our shame this year lies in the fact that we actually couldn't get the promotion that we wanted. Or, or perhaps the shame lies in the fact that we actually didn't even get a job. Or maybe the shame results in the years of abuse that we've experienced and is now coming to light, and we're so ashamed to talk to anyone about it. Maybe it's our family history that brings us to a place of immense vulnerability where we're so scared to share with anyone. And perhaps going into the new year, this is our thought. Since I wasn't able to get that job, I must be a failure. Since I wasn't able to leave the single life behind and have a kid, I'm a failure. Since my family is so messed up, maybe that's the only route for me. This is what shame does to all of us. It begins to be the authoritative voice that dictates who we are. But this is not how God has created us to be. Because the voice of shame that tries to define us is only a faint whisper compared to the authoritative voice of God that speaks to us through his word. Paul writes in verse 10, 
He says this, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What Paul writes is that if you find yourself in Jesus, he has the final say in who you are. If you find yourself in God, he has the final authority in who you are, and no one and nothing can take that away from him. And if God is, in fact, the final authority in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what does then God say about me and you? Well, he says many things, but I just pinpointed a couple here. He says, first, that we were created in his image in Genesis 1, 26. And then it says in Psalm that he is mindful of us, that he cares for us. In Psalm 138, that we're, 139, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you notice that in all of these things, God cares for us? God says that we're fearfully, wonderfully made. God created us in his image, meaning he gave us dignity. He did all of this without us having to do anything. He designates us as people who are created in his image people that he so cares about, people that he considers to be fearfully and wonderfully made before we've done anything, before we've lived up to any standard, before any standards were imposed unto us. The authority of all, the head of all rule, doesn't bestow shame upon us by the things that he's done, but he bestows upon us honor because he created us. He doesn't shame us for not being this enough or not being that enough, but he gives us honor because he created us in his image with all equal dignity. This is who we are in God. And then it goes even further because for us, it's tricky to say that God is in that God is the authority, because for many Asian Americans, shame actually originates from people who have authoritative places in our lives, whether it be family, our bosses, our, our tradition, our elders, even our past leaders. Shame often leaks down from people who have authority over us. So how can we be positive that God doesn't use his authority to actually shame us? Because God, despite his authority, he placed himself in a place where he too experienced shame. Instead of using his authority to make us feel bad about things that we didn't do, Jesus stepped into time and he experienced shame on the cross. Shame that we can't even possibly begin to imagine. He experienced shame despite being God. The cross, the crucifixion, was a public execution that was designed to strip away every ounce of dignity of the person being crucified. Jesus endured possibly one of the most shameful deaths of all time. It was open to the public. Men, women, and children came to watch the spectacle. People stared as he was flogged, as he was mocked, as he was spat on, and then as he was put on the cross, as he was removed of his clothes. What Jesus endured on the cross is nothing short of humiliation and shame. And you know what else? It says in 2 Corinthians, not only was he humiliated and shamed, but he who knew no sin became sin. And then in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. What we see here is Jesus who 
not only experienced the shame, but now understands ours. Because it says here in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands shame. Jesus was shamed his entire life. Jesus understood shame on that cross because he was completely, completely vulnerable to the elements and to the words of his accusers. Jesus understands our shame because he is our great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness. This is how we know that God would never shame us for the things that we failed to do. And in fact, to have Jesus, our head of authority, understand our shame is the first step in us battling and winning over our own. Dr. Brene Brown, she says that in order for us to build resilience against shame, she said we must introduce empathy to our shame. And that's fascinating. She says that empathy is a hostile environment for shame. So in other words, when we feel so ashamed of who we are, when we've done these things in our lives, or when we feel like we've only been a failure our entire lives, when we open that up to someone, and that someone responds with, I understand, our shame is dismantled. I have a, a really good friend back in Boston. I went to seminary with him. I keep in touch with him uh, pretty regularly. Um, and he's also in ministry, and he's one of the good friends with whom I share everything with. Um, and this, this may be surprising, but pastors, we, we struggle with sin. Um, it happens. And so we actually, when there's confession at the liturgy, we actually do confess. But this, this, this pastor, this friend of mine, I share everything with him. Uh, all my pains, my burdens, all the good things. And, and if I hadn't had this friend, then I would be in a very, very unhealthy place, I think. And there was a time in my life where, when I was just deep in ministry and, and doing all this. And I was just so hardwired, so hardwired to, to identify myself uh, by all the mistakes that I've made in my, in my life. And it got to a point where it got really bad. Um, and I began to question who I was. I couldn't, I couldn't really pinpoint what it was, but I just felt like I wasn't unworthy. Uh, I was unworthy to be in the place that I was, and it got to a point where I began to even question God's love for me, because that's what shame does. And I, and I poured out to him, right? And I poured out everything, everything that I messed up in. And you know, he's a pastor, and he's a friend. And when I, when I was speaking to him, and I expected him to just kind of look at me, just kind of push me aside, he looked at me, and he said, I understand. And then he said, me too. The moment he said, me too, he didn't have to say anything else. The moment he said, me too, it felt like the shame of my life was slowly being dismantled and losing power over my identity. Because here was a person whom I dearly respect as a friend, as a brother, as a fellow minister, and for him to say to all of my mistakes, he said, I understand, me too. That word, that empathy, that empathetic response embraced me and accepted me in my weakness. This is what empathy does to shame. 
Now, Jesus may not have sinned. He didn't sin, for he was perfect and he upheld the law. But he understood shame very well. He was shamed throughout the duration of his entire public ministry. He would eat with tax collectors, and Pharisees would accuse him of eating with sinners. He would heal someone on the Sabbath, trying to do a good deed, and Pharisees would shame him for doing work on the Sabbath. He casted out demons, and the Pharisees would accuse him of being a demon. Jesus was shamed his entire life, so can you imagine that sweet embrace when we come to him with our weakness, and he says, I understand. Because he doesn't only accept us in our shame, he reclaims the identity that shame stole from us by canceling our debt on that cross. In verses 13 to 14, Paul writes this. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record a debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The only standard that matters in this world, the God standard, Jesus upheld that standard. And the only person that we've actually, actually, truly sinned against God himself says that we are cleansed of all of our sins, cleansed of all of our trespasses. Jesus not only says we're, he not only accepts us in our shame, but he cleanses us through his crucifixion and his resurrection. And again, in the grand reversal of shame, not only accepts us and forgives us, but now he bestows upon us honor. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Can you imagine, can you imagine if one day, one day as, as you were living, if, if someone that was really a, a tough authoritative figure in your life, someone, perhaps your parents, perhaps your family, perhaps your teacher, someone comes to you, someone who's placed so much shame in your life and placed all these burdens on you, if they came to you one day and said, you are worthy of all the honor and respect as God has created you to be. You're not defined anymore by these silly man-made traditions. You're not defined by how much language you speak or you don't. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined by your family history. You're not defined by your marriages. You're not defined by your children, but you are defined by God. How liberating that could be for all of us. In verse 15, Paul writes, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus, who was removed of his dignity on the cross, now removes our shame and reclaims our identity for us and now removes the deceptive voices of their power in our lives. In the grand reversal of shame in all of us, Jesus removes our shame because he was removed of his dignity and he now bestows upon us honor, honor because God created us. And not only that, he welcomes us in our weakness to come to him, in our failures 
despite your past, despite whatever sexual sins you may have struggled with, despite whatever family history you may have, despite whatever life you may have had, Jesus welcomes us. And he says he has nailed it to the cross. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places so long as we put our trust in him. This is our Jesus in the face of our shame. Now, I wish we could simply say, go on and shame no more. But it's never that easy for us, especially for us Asian Americans. But for us, I want us to remember as we go into the new year, for us to walk in Christ is to be opposed to walking in shame. We have to remember always that God's authoritative voice in our lives. We have to remember that what God says goes. If God says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that's it. That's it. End of discussion. If God says that he cares for us, end of discussion. If God says that we are found in Christ, we have to remind ourselves we're found in Christ and nothing else. We have to listen to the voice that points us to Jesus and not to the man-made traditions that we are so used to living by. You can make your resolutions. You can have all these things that you want to keep and for your own betterment, for your own health and whatever it is. But remember, by the end of 2024, I hate to break it to you, but I doubt that we're going to keep any of our resolutions. But that doesn't mean we failed. It doesn't mean we're any lesser than we are. But so long as we remember who we are in Jesus, who, who we are as God created us to be, that's what really matters for us. But on a more practical note, as Dr. Brene Brown said, empathy is the chief enemy of shame. To walk in Christ means we openly share our shame with him. To walk in him means to openly share our weaknesses with him. In fact, we do this every single Sunday in our, in our liturgy when we bring our, our private sins to a time of confession. We are opening our weaknesses to him. We're letting him in and we're saying, God, I've sinned against you. And this, this has been a source of shame for me. When we open it to him, we have to understand that God openly forgives us welcomes us in our weakness. But on secondly, we also want to create an, an environment of empathy here at our church. It, it's one thing to know that God has created us with dignity, and it's one thing to know that Jesus has forgiven us for our sins, even our past. But now it's another thing to create an environment where we can openly share our shame with our fellow brothers and sisters and neighbors to become that person that's able to say, I understand, me too. To become the person that welcomes people in their weakness and their shame, to embrace them in their sinfulness and to point them to Christ. We want Exilic to become a, a hostile ground for shame, especially because we have so many people uh, walking in shame today. We want Exilic to become a place of empathy where we not only accept each other, but we point each other to Jesus, where we can find true restoration and true forgiveness. 2023, I'm sure, was an up and down year for all of us, and 2024 will probably be more of the same, if not worse, elections coming up. But in light of all of that, may we remember who God says we are. May we remember who we are created to be, 
And may all of us find our identity in Jesus. That's our hope and prayer for everyone here today. Let's pray. Jesus, we've uh, swam in these waters for so long that we've often forgotten what it means to find our identity in you. And yet, Lord, you welcome us in our weakness because, Jesus, you endured shame on that cross. So help us today, Lord, to find ourselves in you, Jesus. Lord, may your great sacrifice on the cross reverse the great shame in our lives. And may we find ourselves in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.